Hello and welcome to Switzer Investing. I'm Peter Switzer, thanks for joining me. And over the last few days, we've seen tech make a bit of a comeback, a bit of a bounce back. And so the intriguing issue is, is this actually the start of a bottoming process where a lot of companies that have been really sold off could start to get some fans coming in to buy these stocks again and maybe take the prices up to more acceptable or more realistic levels? Or is this basically a sneak preview of something that's going to happen a bit further down the track? To tackle these questions, I've got Michael Wayne of Medellin Financial on the big question, is it time to buy tech? And then Julia Lee is going to be asked the same question, is it time to buy tech? I'm also going to ask her the two stocks she would recommend if her best friend came to her and said, what two stocks should I go into for the long term? And then June Bay Lu will also tackle the important question, is it time to buy tech? And, or is it maybe time to buy something else? That's the show. Let's kick off now with Michael Wayne of Medallion Financial. Well, I'm catching up with Michael Wayne from Medallion Financial at a time when the market, well, it's had a Pretty rough time, but the last two days has looked pretty good. Did you love Friday, mate? Oh, it was a relief for the weekend. It makes <laughs> your weekend a bit easier, knowing that you're coming to work on Monday and things won't be as bad. But um, it's hard to decide at the moment whether it's you know going to be a bit of a base or whether it's just a bit of a bounce in a longer term or medium term downward trend. Yeah. So we're, we're cautious, but um, it was definitely a relief to see some positivity come back in late in the week. I found it interesting because I've been asked a number of times in the media about Bitcoin and it's, it's um, I think it's up about 1,542% over the last five years, <laughs> um, down about 30 odd, 33% for the year to date, a bit like tech companies, mm -hmm. um, down about 2% on the week but it was up about 1.5% on Friday. So you start thinking, well, is this a base or will it have another leg down? And I guess the same applies to tech stocks. Mm -hmm. and, and I think the S&P 500, I, I don't think our market really is behaving like the US market. What do you think? No, absolutely not. The Aussie market looks like a, a real outstanding shining light at the moment. Yeah. But a lot of that comes down to our exposure to mining companies. Um, the banks obviously have mm. been a bastion of strength in these times that they should potentially benefit from those high rates, many people mm. think. You throw in energy and I think those three sectors make up 50, 60% of the Aussie index, yeah. which on the flip side has sort of held us back in the last five years relative to the US, mm. but we seem to be having our moment in the sun as those tech companies come under enormous pressure and the US markets fall. I mean, the S&P went within a whisker of a bear market down 19, 20%. Mm. The NASDAQ was down close to 30%. Yeah. Um, and but it deserved it really. You know, when you look at the way it rebounded out of mm -hmm. the coronavirus crash, it was excessive, wasn't it? Well, that's right. I mean, NASDAQ can fall another 15, 20% and still just be back to where it was pre-COVID. Exactly. Uh, S&P not as accentuated, but a similar story plays out there as well, yeah. which does and lead it's us- driven by the tech component. That's right, all yeah. the apples of the world and, and all that sort of stuff. But yeah. that leads us to believe that there is definitely potential for further downside, particularly in the NASDAQ, and, mm. and that would then flow through to many of the tech businesses on the ASX. Mm. Yeah, and what do you think is going to be the the issues that can turn the market around in the sense that people say, okay, uh, we were excessive, we've now sold off, 
it's now, there's value there now, it's time to buy. What do you think is going to sort of turn around sentiment? Yeah, look, obviously there's a lot going on at the moment. Um, the beginning of the year, leading into the, the new calendar year at least, we all thought, you know, the world was emerging from COVID, there's a lot of reopening going on and, and things were looking pretty rosy. But then all of a sudden, the Russia-Ukraine situation flared up. Mm. Um, that put a lot of pressure on energy prices, but also a lot of agricultural yeah, uh, yeah. different commodities as well, such as nickel. And then we'll sort of get beginning to digest that. Then again, out of left field somewhat, China went into lockdown, Beijing again. and Shanghai. Mm. And 60% of exports that leave China leave those two main ports. And that again, puts further pressure on supply chains and input costs. And until we start to see some of those key things ease, mm. um, those pressures ease, it's hard to see the market getting too excited because there's just all these series of things going on at the moment. And there's a number of different potential outcomes for each of those particular mm. events. Mm. So you're seeing interest rates go up, um, you know, that central banks probably are behind the curve somewhat given where inflation is and people are concerned that interest rates are going to be raised a lot higher than they're expecting a lot quicker. Mm. Um, whether that plays out remains to be seen. So once people get a bit of clarity on where interest rates are heading, where they might top out, mm. um, then I think they might get a bit more confidence in where equities yeah. are going to go. But it's interesting. If, if the central banks of the world are behind the curve, why couldn't they have worked out that Putin was going to declare war on the Ukraine? <laughs> and why couldn't they have worked out that the pandemic would come back into China? What's wrong with those guys? Aren't they doing their work? It's, it looks never that easy, I think. <laughs> never that it's, easy. It's particularly hard here this year. There's no doubt so far. Yeah. So, and I think, I guess the, from my point of view, um, if those two problems become less of a problem as the year goes on, inflation pressures start mm -hmm. falling. Not immediately, but they'll fall. And then the belief that interest rates have to rise really quickly in a short space of time, that might unwind as well. And that would be good for the stock market, wouldn't it? I think so. And in some perverse kind of way, interest rates going higher, uh, the chances of a recession increase mm. would almost be a positive for stocks once they digest it, because it, then the expectation would be that interest rates won't have to go Correct. as high. Yeah. Um, and it was look, only a mild recession. That's US, right. And which I, which I keep hearing all the time, but that's guesswork too. That, that's right. But you look at the, you know, I think going back to 1970, there's been 16 rate rise cycles looking at the US, UK and Europe, which has only been around for 20 years or mm. so. Uh, 13 of those 16 rate rise cycles has ended in a recession. Mm. So the track record of central banks tightening mm. hasn't been that good um, in, in terms of avoiding a recession. So you would have to think that the chances of a recession are increasing substantially. Um, high inflation will eventually have an impact on household balance sheets, um, consumer spending, things like that. And that could impact company margins to a degree down the track. But the markets don't, markets are forward looking um, and they'll sort of anticipate these things well in advance. So although the recession might not occur for 12, 18 months, two years, markets could well and truly find a base yeah. and bounce before that. So yeah. although I'm speaking quite negatively, I do think everything will be okay on a one, two year time frame. Yeah. Although in the short term, we could well see some, some more weakness yeah. over the next three to six uh, months. I, look, when I made my calls on 22, 23, I never anticipated Ukraine. I never yeah, anticipated China going back. And so I always figured big, big boom in 2022, everyone gets out of lockdown. 23, 24, inflation starts to creep yeah. up normally. 
And by 2024, I'd be becoming, or be, into 23, I'd be getting more defensive on the anticipation that 2024 could have been the troublesome year. Yeah. All this could, could push it out a little bit later. But I think that there's a chance of a nice little rebound in the middle there somewhere while you know, uh, you got recession fears and interest rates maybe slow down. And that could be good for some stocks that have been beaten up. So this is the hard bit for you. What are the <laughs> yeah. stocks that these people out there watching this should be looking at? What are the quality beaten up stocks you like? Look, the whole thing is we still like the tech space. Yeah, but over the last six months, we've been gradually reducing that exposure considerably just because... Although, again, we think they're going to be good long term. Yeah, you made me like Megaport. Well, you made me like Ordinate. <laughs> well, something <laughs> like Megaport, for instance, we got out of actually the other day for a lot of clients, given their update and the fact that one of the big investors was selling down shares. But because we just believe we'll get another bite at the cherry yeah, at some will. point to get back in. But Megaport's an example of a business we still like on a long term basis. Yeah. Um, it's a Zero had business. a pretty good update the other day, despite mm. the fact that it did get hammered. Mm. Um, but you can look at companies like Fisher and Paykel Healthcare, that's down almost 50% probably mm. from its highs. Mm. That's a company that we think's got a very good long runway to growth and, and will continue to do very well. Um, Ordinate is one that's just really hitting its straps at the worst possible time for the company because mm. as, just as they're getting all this demand through the door, mm. they're unable to meet that demand because of chip shortages. Yeah. Eventually one day, you know, those Supply pressures will, will ease and then the company will be able to resume its upward trajectory. Yeah. So there are definitely good high quality tech names worth keeping an eye on, yeah. uh, maybe dipping the toe in with a little bit of a nibble mm. now because many of them you can feel pretty confident that down the track they'll be in a very good position. Mm. Seek, REA as well are two mm. quality core positions in many of our portfolios okay. um, that we think over time will be, be quite good positions. So there's a number of stocks okay. that we quite like. One of your... Um, both liabilities and yes. assets is that you're a young man so you understand <laughs> young people and it seems to me even those people want to try and say buy now pay later is dead i don't believe it. i think young people yeah. hate credit cards and like buy now pay later and, and so when you look at that space block slash square slash mm -hmm. afterpay is the best of breed is this a company that has potential for rebound eventually yeah, absolutely. Um, even the likes of Zip, you know, up mm. around $10, $11, $12 at its peak yeah. at one. We were never really involved in them too heavily. Um, we always fear there's a bit of froth involved in some of the pricing. <laughs> um, there's a, look, there's an enormous amount of interest in buy now, pay later. It's not yeah. going to go away anytime and a firm, soon. A firm actually did well the other day in America, didn't it? It's, like, it's yeah. one of the rivals in there. There's, look, they're still growing very, very quickly, but yeah. just like a lot of tech businesses, um, the multiples got very extreme, and mm. now we're having rates go up, which are kind of anchoring asset values again, and people are, are re-evaluating um, and recalibrating the valuations mm. on these things. So yeah. there will become a time where they become screaming buys, but yeah. it's just, I think, a little bit premature at the moment to start jumping in just because you could see a bit more negativity in, and they can be down 10, 20, 30% in the matter of weeks um, should the, the markets hit the skids. Well, I've recently uh, reconnected with my ex-student, Anthony Eisen, who started after that. So <laughs> really? I will be catching- Taught him everything he knows. <laughs> well, he actually, he actually just said that to him. I said, come on, I didn't think about buying that pay later. Economics, maybe I taught him a lot of economics. Yeah. But the interesting thing is, I'm gonna catch up with him. And I've gotta say, even just, just talking to him, yeah, he didn't make me think that he believed that buy now, pay later 
was on death row. And he's, I guess he's one yeah. of the biggest shareholders in, in Block nowadays. But it's going to be interesting when I do catch up with him, I'll get a, a handle on you know, the, the challenges, but how they kind of overcome those challenges going forward. And, and that's the problem with a lot of sectors in the market. Just because a certain sector is doing well and growing doesn't mean prices can't come back on yeah. different shares. And yeah. I think for many new investors, that's a concept they've got to get their, their head around. Just because, you know, a certain part of the market is booming mm. um, doesn't necessarily mean all companies in that space do well. There'll certainly be some winners as the space consolidates. It's quite fragmented still at the moment. There's been a lot of players, but you would think that the dominant first movers in the space, such as Afterpay, now Block, mm. are in a pretty good position. When it comes to Block, you also have to understand that Afterpay makes up probably 25% of Block's overall mm. business now. But the so Square business the is square good. Business Everywhere is you go, you see Square. Absolutely. Yeah. So payments uh, are eating the world, as, as they sort of say sometimes. Yeah. Uh, so there's still a lot of, of water that will go under the bridge in that whole area. Mm. And you'll think on a long-term horizon, if you pick the right ones, they should do well. Yeah. And I guess there's a lot of potential takeover targets there as well. Yeah, you'll, you should probably see a lot of that once we do bottom out, you'll start to see a lot of private equity and a lot of companies throwing out uh, opportunistic bids in many cases to try yeah. and take advantage of some of these companies which are down 50, 60, 70%. Yeah. And particularly if, it, if you see the, the attitude towards rising interest rates hose down yes. a bit, those private equity firms, they do borrow and, That's they, right. and they go in and try and get companies a good value. That's it. That's mm. it. So there's, look, there's a lot to go on at the moment. One interesting thing to watch will be how far US interest rates go relative to Australian interest rates. Yeah. That could have a big impact on the dollar, yeah. the Aussie dollar. Um, if, you know, if we cap out in Australia a lot earlier than the US, you might see the Aussie dollar down five, 10 cents from here. And that'll also have a big bearing on many companies that mm. earn overseas or domestically and vice versa. Yeah. I must get my expert on the dollar, um, Michael Knox from Morgan Securities latest predictions, because you're right. He, he was more bullish on the Australian dollar. Yeah. And he was always aware of the fact that rates in the US would go faster than us. But he also made the point that a big budget deficit in the US tends to take the US dollar down. So it'd be interesting to see what he's saying. Yeah, absolutely. All right, mate, great to see you. Thanks for having me. That's Michael Wayne, Medallion Financial. Thanks for joining us, Julia. Great to be here, Peter. How do you interpret today's uh, uh, activity on the market? Strong leads in the US two nights in a row or two days in a row over there. Um, we were expected to start up about 50 odd points and we've kind of pulled back. How do you interpret that? There's a lot happening in terms of today's market. We did see the US stock market having a stellar session on Friday with the NASDAQ up by 3.8%. Um, and then today, after we saw some China numbers come through, a lot of those market gains disappeared and the market still closed up 0.4% and nowhere near the gains that we saw in the morning. Look, we've seen a raft of China data hit the market today. And we know that these numbers have been impacted by lockdown in major cities like Shanghai and Beijing. So look, industrial production contracted by 2.9%, which suggests that in the current quarter, we have seen contraction in China. I think the big question for investors, especially commodity and resource investors, which rely a lot on China demand, is are the numbers going to get worse from here or are they going to get better? And already we've heard from China plans of reopening um, to get back on track. So look, if we do see that reopening and economic uh, 
economic activity once again restarting, that of course will be good news. And then on top of that, we're expecting to continue to see support for infrastructure spending, which of course is great news for things like iron ore pricing. So look, I'm still positive in terms of the commodity space till the end of the year. Yes, the numbers at the moment are not good. In fact, they're looking pretty horrible, but to a certain extent we need that because activity has uh, shut down in a lot of those major cities in uh, China. And as that activity comes back, we will see, uh, I think, miners well supported. Yeah. So is, is the reaction, the, lo the logical reaction of short-term players that these Chinese numbers indicate that you know China's not going to be putting a lot of demand into the world right now, but you're saying down the track, let's add three or six months, they're probably uh, trying very hard to get their economy going and the lockdown effect always, or getting out of lockdown effect, is always quite substantial for all economies. Absolutely, and look, for China, there are a few things that we are keeping an eye on. Uh, first of all, is whether they are going to keep to a zero COVID policy, because we know that if they keep to that policy and they see problems with COVID once again popping up, are we going to see continued lockdown and a continued impact in terms of the economy? And that would not be good for the global growth outlook um, and for the recovery outlook either. On the flip side, if we start to see uh, Beijing taking measures to move away from that COVID zero stance, that would be seen as a positive in terms of global growth. And it comes at a time when I think the world needs it. We're seeing interest rates now rising in a lot of the developed world. And China is one of those economies which is going against the trend where we are seeing rate cuts and stimulus instead of rate hikes and tightening. So look, I think it is important, especially for Australian investors, given that most of our exports go to China, and because we are so resource heavy, but I suspect that we will see uh, stabilization in terms of the Chinese economy in the third quarter. And that should be better news for some of those commodity plays, which have seen a bit of a pullback over the last month. Yeah. T tell us about how you interpret the developments that were really positive for the, all those tech stocks that have been beaten up both overseas and even here, because Friday there was a, a really nice bounce for a lot of tech stocks. Is this, is this the start of a bottoming process or is it merely a sneak preview of what might happen if, if interest rates don't go up as aggressively as was probably driving the, the tech market sell-off you know, some months ago? Yeah, I, I think there's really three things to watch out for here. First of all, at, at the juncture we're at at the moment where we are seeing an inflection or a change, there is a lot of up and down movement, a lot of nervousness, and we're certainly seeing that in terms of markets. I think for individual investors, it's time to take a bit of a step back and work out you know, how long you're looking to invest in the market. If you're looking over the shorter term, then now's probably a good time to pull back on risk because of the uncertainty in the market. But if you're taking a longer term time frame, you can afford to look through the cycle and try and pick up a few bargains along the way. Um, if we have a look at the overall market, though, um, although in the short term things are looking oversold, which means we are due for a decent bounce back, the longer cycle we are seeing a hike in interest rates, so we are seeing a turning in terms of the interest rate cycle. Now, the reason why that's important is because higher interest rates mean a higher cost of capital, and it makes it harder for companies to grow, and that's what the market's trying to price in at the moment. And unfortunately, what, it's, what is happening is that if you're relying a lot of your business valuation on future growth that hasn't happened yet, 
then the valuation of your company is being hard hit. On the flip side, if you have stable cash flow, well, you're doing relatively okay through the current market conditions. So look, it's a bit of a strange time in terms of market, but it is a time where I think individual investors do need to keep a close eye on timeframes because in the short term, yes, we're due for a bounce back. The longer term cycle, we are seeing a hike in interest rates, which is a more difficult environment. Yeah, and I know in talking to our financial planning clients, you know, one-year term deposits are getting so much better. Uh, we are starting to put them back into term deposits, and it can be at the expense of either bond funds, which are very unreliable at the moment, or else even very you know defensive stocks. You know, so that, that you know, the fascinating thing at the moment here is that even though we have seen you know bonds doing it pretty tough, equities doing it tough this year. What the market is also pricing in is a shorter cycle. Um, so although we are seeing interest rates rising, um, you know, most of the markets are predicting that we are, are going to see a cycle of tightening um, as, as long as usual cycles in ter terms of the marketplace. So that's the other thing for investors to consider. The market's starting to price in the, the possibility of a recession. Um, and look, the market prices in future events. So if you're looking to buy during a recession, Usually it's too late because the market's already priced in recovery. So the other thing to remember is that the market does tend to price in the next 12 to 18 months. Um, so if you are looking to you know, try and time the market and buy during a recession, usually that's too late. You've actually got to buy before the recession's yeah. here. And do you, do you think there's going to be a recession, Julia? Well, Australia's a little bit different. It depends on whether you're talking about the Australia or the UK or, or the US. We know that in the UK, the central bank over there has already said that it does expect that uh, later this year that they will see a contraction in terms of the economy. Part of that is that inflation's hit uh, or forecast to hit 7% when the numbers come out later this week and uh, the producer price index already in double digits there. Um, and we know that in the US, the market's starting to price in a recession as well. Here in Australia, we're a little bit different because we're so commodities heavy. So it will depend on what China does. If we do see more infrastructure spending and activity speeding up, then it could be that Australia does avoid um, a big probability of a recession. Um, so I think Australia and Canada are good places to look at investing over the next 12 to 18 months in this inflationary environment where we are seeing interest rates rising. Um, probably Australian investors, Canadian investors, or if they have access to those type of markets, I think they'll fare relatively better than other developed markets uh, such as Europe as well as the US. Okay. Um, buy now pay later companies. They've been, they have been really smashed and they're un unbelievably supported. You used to be a great fan of Afterpay at very low prices, at very medium prices, and at very high prices. It kept on delivering. What's your take on buy now pay later companies at current prices? Yeah, look, I think very much a trader's market. Um, I, I like industries where, you know, companies like Afterpay had the first mover advantage and it was relatively easy to grow. But what we then found was that its business model was relatively easy to replicate and a lot of competition came through. And competition usually impacts on the biggest uh, player in terms of the market, but it makes it difficult for all players to get growth at reasonable prices. In fact, what you usually end up seeing is more and more marketing spend happening, smaller and smaller margins happening as uh, competition intensifies. And look, we've seen this time and time again, not only in the telecommunications sector here in Australia, where Telstra was a monopoly and then 
all these smaller players came through and of course Telstra was impacted but we're seeing that in terms of the airline business as well so usually I try to avoid areas where we are seeing that increase in competition and then add in a, another layer at the moment and this is that rising interest rates could hit uh, consumer discretionary um, things that we that aren't necessarily a necessities to spend on that we could see a hit to spending there so we are seeing global investors um, starting to take money off the table, not only for growth, but also the consumer discretionary sector over the last four weeks has been good as well. Okay. What about one of your favourites, Linus? Recently, the, the price has come down. Uh, do you still like Linus? Yes, I still like Linus. I still like the lithium stocks. I still like the iron ore stocks. Look, a lot of um, the problems that are happening in terms of the commodity space, I think, is because of China production. We did see the industrial production numbers out for April today in China, and they were down 2.9%. So that contraction was bigger than what was expected. The market was actually expecting to see growth of 1%. So that is an unusual move, but we know that these are unusual times in China, and COVID and lockdowns is impacting in terms of being able to work and in terms of being able to produce goods. So a lot of the factories are closed over in China, and that's impacting on the supply chain, which means that, you know, commodities as well, that's impacting on the demand for commodities. Once that restarts, look, the underlying story, I think, is still a very positive one, especially in the area of electric vehicles. At the moment, you know, for some of the electric vehicle models, there's a wait of eight to 12 months. So hopefully, you know, those factories can get started um, moving product again, and we'll start to see that speed up and demand continue to speed up. But I think this is a big structural shift that we're seeing in terms of the automobile space, um, where we will see electric vehicle demand still passing the uh, supply of lithium for a couple of years. Okay, uh, this is the no pressure question. Your, your very best friend comes to you and says, Julia, what are the two stocks you recommend I should buy now that will be really good um, companies to hold in my portfolio for a long time? still like IDP education at these prices. We did hear that the CEO would be stepping down. And after seven great years where we have seen the value of this business increase, that is, um, I guess, negative news. But on the flip side, you know, we are still seeing a lot of tailwinds for, for this business. We've seen that BC India uh, acquisition where synergies have been greater and margins have increased more than expected. We've also seen the company shifting to more of a digital strategy through COVID. So it's almost got its sort of traditional international students and English testing business, as well as this digital business now. And of course, we are still seeing recovery in terms of travel, which should mean a better demand for our IDP education. So look, that's one of the stocks, which is probably higher risk that I like at the moment. I still like the commodity space in the shorter term. And with the cycle still moving towards uh, rising interest rates, I think the insurers are still going to do well. So if you don't want to go to the direct insurers like QBE insurance, there's also Steadfast, which is an insurance broker. So with premiums increasing, um, I think that that's going to bode well in terms of emissions and revenue. Thanks very much, Julia. Talk to you next week. Thanks, Thanks for joining us, Jumbo. Bounce we've seen in the market last week. Did it uh, sustain itself today? Look, it certainly has sustained itself. We've seen a lot of tech companies or companies that's been sold off a lot. It's really bouncing back. And it's quite a, you know, quite a nice thing to see. We haven't really seen a 
all of that. But ultimately, a lot of those high quality businesses have been sold off way too much on the basis of rate fear. Um, and if anything, you know, market pricing in a lot of rate riders. Um, and okay, so, so even if this is not, well, I guess it's the fair question. Do you think the worst of this market itself is over or we've been given a sneak preview of what might happen if the interest rate rises that have been put out there, the excessive number of rises are actually turn out to be less? Yeah, you're pointing out to the right thing. I think that's a really, really good question. Look, I think we volatility will be here today, that is possible, because we will go through this uh, to and fro between high inflation fear or high recession fear uh, further down the track. So the market will go from defensive back to risk and back to growth, back to value. So the volatility will be here. But what I can tell that a lot of those high quality growth companies has been sold off a lot. With the market expectation of this number of prices, um, many of them have been expected way too much. And we don't think a lot of central bankers will follow through. Simply means that a lot of those yeah. quality companies so um, will what start. What kinds of companies have you been picking up in recent times? Look, the one number one um, more easier call is actually the healthcare companies. These are the companies have demonstrated track record of double-digit growth over the last decades, and they have a huge rental market, and they continue to grow um, double-digit in the foreseeable future. The likes of Cochlear, the likes of CSF, uh, even Resmed is now looking very interesting after after what was a very soft quarter, uh, you know, impacted really by this uh, stock shortages, the lack of chips. Like, um, but the earnings of anything next 12 month will go really strongly. And the next, you know, the quality techs such as zero that had a pretty good result. Um, the subs growth was a little bit weaker, but um, you know, investors was really selling it off on the basis of something that is so much in a scheme of things. So okay. that is something that we can What's your view well. on buy now, pay later companies? There are some people out there saying, oh, they're dead in the water, they'll, they'll never be. Um, as popular again. What's your view? I think the buy now, pay later sector is going through a challenging period. I wouldn't say they're dead in the water because I think the mergers and acquisition will continue in the sector because it's literally a race to stick. You know, they need to get bigger. We've seen Block taking out uh, Afterpay. We've seen Zip merging with Cezzle. And I think, if, uh, if anything, uh, one of those players, such as uh, Zip and Cezzle competition, now. So FNA. Uh, well and truly that sector. Now, what's challenging for them in terms of organic growth is really um, your top line growth growing somewhat and cost of money becoming more expensive. Um, so I do think that M&A yeah, will be the okay. key driver. And so um, looking at um, the banking sector, do you think that some of those bigger banks may well look at some of these sort of fintech type companies, buy now, pay later companies, and see them as being good value considering the sell-off that we've seen? Oh, look, absolutely. I do think that fintech will fit into with one of those larger platforms uh, because for those fintech, um, especially by the payment option, um, you know, we've seen so large banks says try getting into those space by partnering. And I do think with the valuation coming off significantly, does represent a very good opportunity. Um, I think in, in the case of after pay block, it's becoming a little bit larger, too large for some of our domestic banks because you know, cryptocurrency exposure. But for the small, certainly represent very okay. good. Okay, Jim, thanks for joining us. Thank you so much, Peter. 
And that's the show for this week. I'm sorry that uh, June Bay Lou's recording was a little bit scratchy, but it was worth hanging out for the tips that she gave us anyway. If you want to know more about our business, go to switzerreport.com.au and that's where you can get some other insights into stocks that you might be interested in either buying or selling. Thanks for joining us. See you on Thursday.